Good morning, everyone. How is everyone? Good. Behaving. Paul's behaving. Oh, bathing. <laughs> Paul's bathing. <laughs> always um, fantastic to be here and to have an opportunity to gather together in fellowship um, and, and share in what it is that God is, is doing in us. Um, for those of you who have been um, following along and being present at these services for the last number of weeks, um, with last week aside, you'll know that we've been looking at the life-changing power of the gospel. The life-changing power of the gospel. The gospel that takes dead people and makes them alive. The gospel that takes people out of darkness and into light. The, people, the gospel that takes people who were hopeless and gives them hope. That takes people who are broken and makes them whole. That, that takes people that were insecure and makes them full of confidence like we heard this morning from a new, brand new source of life on the inside. It's called Christ in us, Christ in his church, Christ, the hope of glory. So I hope that you've been moved and stirred over the last number of weeks hearing this eternal gospel. You know, in Revelation, there's a scene that's described in John. He says, I saw an angel flying in mid-heaven. I think he says with a scroll in his mouth, with an eternal gospel to preach to those who are on the earth. And God is bringing to light this eternal gospel not a future gospel, an eternal gospel, a gospel that, which has its substance and, substance and its life source in something that's bigger than this earth. Eternal means not just future, but it means a divine substance of life that we can live in and live from while we're here on earth that will last into all of eternity. So that's the gospel that we're going to be hearing this morning. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning. So this morning, we're going to be looking at this powerful passage. I'll read it to you from um, verse 2. It says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. Now listen to this. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every other place. Uh, it, also in every place, your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. 
For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. Now listen to this. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now this church in Thessalonica, I think it's called, it says, he says this about them. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So this morning we're going to be looking at the words of the gospel and the work of the gospel. The words of the gospel and the work of the gospel. I'll put here, if you're writing notes, point number one. All right, oh, sorry, let me rewind back. So verse 4, it says, Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. As a church, it is essential that we know we have been chosen to live from the completed work of Christ being revealed within us. Knowing his choice of you. The Thessalonians knew his choice of, his God's divine choice of them. But what was that choice? Was it a choice to be part of a church community, to hear a message? It's even a choice to be part of a family. You know, in Romans it says that we've been predestined, we've been chosen to become conformed according to the image of his son. See, his calling and choice of you is a very specific thing. It's not an accidental thing. His choice of you is that you would become, that you would be predestined to become, uh, sorry, predestined to become conformed according to the image of his son. It says that, we're to, that he is the firstborn among many brethren, that he's the prototype of who we have always been called to be, that we would become and be preserved blameless at the day of his coming. That's his choice of you. It's not, not a choice of your physical location to become and, and come and be part of a service. His choice of you is to be found in the image of the one who created him. We've been created in the image of God. And like I shared a number of weeks ago, through the fall, that image was lost. And the predestined life that God had called us for was lost from the reality that we lived from. And so how was God going to get us out of this darkness and into light? How was God going to rescue us from the place that we had fallen to, back to the predestined life that he had created us for? It's called the gospel. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. You know, it says that unless God had left us a seed or a prosperity, a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. Left to our own devices, we were without hope and cut off from who we were always created and predestined to be from before the foundations of the world. But the gospel came crashing into our world, not 2,000 years ago, but it was foreseen in God's mind and his thoughts before creation even existed and even fell. God had preserved a seed for us, Christ, whom eternal salvation would be 
who would uh, eternal salvation would come through. It's the gospel. It's the very power of God for the salvation of our entire being. Now, if the predestined life was to be conformed according to the image of the Son, and through the fall we lost that image, what then is the antidote? How do we, how do we go from having fallen out of glory to entering back into the glory that was originally predestined for us? Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that we need something more than the words of the gospel to be able to transition and enter back into the eternal life that we were predestined for. We need an antidote. We need a medicine that matches the symptom, not just a painkiller. Now, we've seen all over the news about the coronavirus and I saw on, on the news the other day that supermarkets are now saddling out of paracetamol because of the coronavirus. Entire economies are, well, the, we know that the U.S. stock market lost the most money in a week since the global financial crisis. And the supermarkets are selling out of Panadol. Now, the gospel is not a painkiller. It's an antidote, and it's a solution to our very inner realm. We need a medicine that matches our symptom, and it's called the gospel. And it brings us out of darkness and into light. Now, I have here the words of the gospel are essential, but in and of themselves are not the source of life, the very power of the gospel itself. So we read here, knowing his choice of you, that our gospel did not come in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, words can be powerful. And I think, personally, I probably have an appreciation for words more than the average person. I'm a teacher. I'm a policy analyst. My entire world revolves around words. Now, now in my work world, the difference between a couple of words being right or wrong can be a multi-million dollar decision, especially if we're writing or drafting legislation about who to give funds to and who not to. A word out of place has a multi-million dollar consequence. Now, the words are important. And words create worlds. Now, when... You read words. I don't know if anyone here is an avid book reader. Do we have any one person, two people, three, four? Thank you. Now, why is it that books are so engaging? Because when you read these words, you're not just reading ink on a page. These words open up a realm to you. 
Now, I don't know if anyone here has read a book that is so riveting that it's almost as if you feel like you are engaged with the very people on the page that are coming out of you in that book, right? The words of the book have opened up a realm and opened up a world to you, and you start to feel and experience the emotion of what is going on within that story, right? Because these words are not just words, they've created a world that you have now touched, felt with your earthly, natural senses. It's done something, it's, it's provoked you, it's made you think, it's made you cry, it's made you angry, it's made you frustrated, it's filled you with joy. But these are all still in the natural realm. Words have the power to move you. Now, in this generation, more than any generation, I believe, in all of human history, we are being bombarded with words, and not just words. 4,000 years ago, people would read words in a book, and that would open up a realm to them. But now in this modern day and age, we've got audio and music is even more stimulating to our senses. And on top of music, we have visual. We've got video. An even more stimulating experience. It's not just audio. It's not just visual. It's, a, it's an entire combination of this audio-visual experience that grabs you in a way that reading a book could never. Now, moving on a number of years, not only do we have film and movies that combine those things, we've got video games where you can actually participate in this full audio-visual experience. And we've got a whole entire generation of teenagers that are engrossed in video games, and not just teenagers. Now, none of these things are wrong. Books aren't wrong, movies aren't wrong, video games aren't wrong. There's absolutely nothing sinful about any of these things. But I hope that you're hearing what I'm saying. These things stimulate your senses and open up a realm to you that you can touch and feel and experience and observe, right? Now moving on even even more, we now have, what is it called? Virtual reality where not only can you engage through your thumbs in a video game, but you can put a mask on and put gloves on, and actually it's almost as if you were in there yourself. Now, why am I laboring this point? Because in here, Paul says that the, word, that, that the gospel did not come to this church in word only. Words are powerful and they create worlds. But through all of our human ability and all of our ability to stimulate the senses, the one thing that human beings cannot do is bring you into the eternal realm, the eternal world, the eternal life of God. Now, some, um, some church communities have seen the stimulating effect that all of these you know, um, natural things have had and have tried to match it. And so all of a sudden, service has become an emotional and physical and sensual experience. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but it can never replace 
what the ultimate power of the gospel was always supposed to achieve, which was to bring you not into a physical reality, not into a sensual reality that you can feel and touch, but into a spiritual reality. Only the gospel can bring you into God's realm, God's way of thinking, God's way of seeing, something that is beyond the senses, something that's beyond what you can see and taste and touch and feel. It's very eternal life itself. And so when we heard from Jeremy about this living water, it's used as a typology to speak about true life, true water that comes from Christ himself. Now, it's my personal opinion that in this modern day and age, we need to have something more to offer the world than just an, just an alternative stimulating experience. We've got to be able to offer more than just a persuasive, uh, a persuasive conversation, a persuasive sermon, a good service, great music. The world is desperately crying out for something that, that meets them on a greater and deeper level than just their senses. Because we have an entire generation of young people who are so consumed in these sensual things that, they're, that but ultimately leave them high and dry. The issue is not that they're engaged in them. The issue is not that you watch a movie or play video games. In fact, we, we watch movies. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. But if you need to be stimulated by, by things like movies and Facebook and social media at the end of the day to be okay, then let me tell you great tiding, good tidings of great joy this morning. There's a greater life source. When the world and what it has to offer leads you high and dry, come to Jesus and receive living water that's able to satisfy not just your feelings and your senses, but your soul. And we have this living hope. We have the hope of the world. It's Christ himself. And he is more, not more relevant, he is as relevant today as he was 2,000 years ago. And he still holds what it is that the world so desperately needs, salvation for our souls. The one thing that earthly uh, means can never touch or achieve. You know, in 2 Peter 2, Peter t prophesies about the last days and he talks about false teachers and false prophets rising up. And the key defining mark of these false prophets is not that they weren't preaching the scriptures, it's that they were living from what he describes as sensuality and that they were preaching a gospel of sensuality. What is sensuality? It's what you can feel and taste and touch in your natural experience. It's a gospel that's come in words only. It's a gospel that has come and has taught you of history, and it might have even engaged you and engaged your intellect. It might have interested you. It might have encouraged and inspired you, but it hasn't transformed you. And so Peter is prophesying about these last 
the events that are happening in the last days, and he's warning, and he's saying, guys, false prophets will come, and they won't try and talk to you about Allah or Muhammad or they'll talk to you about Jesus, but it's a Jesus that you can come to know through your own intellect, through your own feelings. It's a Jesus that moves you emotionally, but doesn't impact you spiritually. Now, we are not to receive this gospel in word only. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul he says this, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ might not be made void. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ might not be made void. What is he saying? That if he was to come in cleverness of speech, he could... Is that not an alarming thought that Paul is saying, if I came with cleverness of speech, I could actually make void the cross of Christ, the very reality, the substance of God? What is it that he's saying? He's saying, if I can argue you into it, someone else can argue you out of it. If I can appeal to your intellect and convince you, then someone who is brighter, more intelligent, and smarter than me can prompt you out of it. So what is he saying? Christ didn't send me just to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ may not be made void. That he's saying, I've come not in clever words, I've come in power. I live from this power, but my life is infused with power. And when I come and speak, I speak the word of God that will open up in you if you allow it. If your heart is soft and fertile and able to receive this living word, it will open up a realm of the spirit to you that you come to know God in a real and living way because he's revealed himself in you through power, through revelation, and not because of good and creative and cunning and clever words. He's saying, I live from this power and no one can convince me with cunning argument. And when I come and preach, I preach to you this power so that you can experience and know power on the inside that will convince you in a way that words can never. I'll open up a brand new living way, a living reality. It's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Ephesians talks about when you come and you grow up, you grow up in this life, you will no longer be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of men. But you'll know me and you'll stand when no one else around you can stand. And when you can no longer satisfy your natural cravings and the desires of the flesh, you will be satisfied in me. You will be filled with an eternal life that's greater and bigger than this earth, not just in your senses, but in your soul and in your spirit. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not just a historic message about a person. It's the very power and life of God. Its source is not clever words. It's not correct doctrine. 
Its source is revelation power of Christ himself. Now I want you to have a look at this verse. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 27. And I want you to read this. If you've got a Bible, if you've got it on your phone, if you have the Bible app on your phone, can you just turn with, turn with me now? Because I want you to read this and see it as I read it. Acts 13, 27. Now I'll start from 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us the message of salvation has been sent. So he's talking to Abraham's descendants, those who are predestined to know this life. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. Now listen again, verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. Wow, what a passage. What is he saying? He's saying the Jews and rulers in Jerusalem came and attended church services every week and heard the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures read that prophesied about the coming Messiah every single Sabbath. They heard the words of God, but it says they didn't hear the utterance of God and and not hearing the utterance They fulfilled the very scriptures by condemning him and nailing him on a cross. They heard the words of God. They heard the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures, every single Sabbath in the temple. They heard the message of the suffering Messiah. They heard the message of the coming kingdom. But it says they didn't hear the utterance. Some translations say the voice that lay behind the words, and in not hearing the voice, they didn't receive the work of God on the inside of them. They heard words, but they didn't receive the work of God that would have set them free from themselves to be able to live out from the very reality and substance of the gospel. They had the words of God, but not the work of God. They had the words of God, but didn't receive the very utterance of God that lay behind the words through revelation, which would have been the very antidote, the very life source that was able to save their souls. 
And so literally in here, these people became murderers in their hearts by nailing him to a cross. The very one who had come to bring salvation to them and set them free from themselves and hearing his words, but not the word, big W, and hearing his words and not the work, they were left void of the very life of that word that would have been able to save and transform them in the inner core. Powerful scripture, eh? Confronting scripture. And yet the gospel prophesies of a greater and better day than that. These people, these rulers in Jerusalem may never have heard that word. But we as the church of God have been predestined to hear and receive that word that would come in and save us from our souls, that would save us from what they were living in and from and would give us through revelation knowledge, a new life to be able to live out what they could never live out. Now, Jesus speaks throughout the scriptures in a couple of places about the parable of the seed and the sower. And he says that the, the sower came to sow seed and he sows it on on four different postures of heart, some among rocky ground, some along the the roadside, some where there was thorns, and some were soft, fertile soil. And he says that those with some, when the word was sown, received it with joy. But because they had no firm root in itself, the word did not produce the work that it was predestined to produce. The word, when it was sown, produced joy. Now, is that not a good and positive thing? Absolutely. The word moved someone. The word was was powerful enough to bring someone and move them to deep, stirring emotion. This is the word of God. I'm not talking about video games and movies anymore. I'm talking about the word... The words that were spoken had the power in this particular person to create a great sense of appreciation and joy. But, it, but that joy did not fulfill its ultimate purpose of coming from the outside in a sensory experience, an emotional experience, becoming implanted, what James says, to be able to save their souls. But there was a seed There was a seed that was sown on soft and fertile soil. There was a word that was sown and a heart that was humble and hungry and able to receive. And you know what it says? That word produced a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold what was sown. Now, for those of you who have been coming along to our banquet sessions in the evening, you would have obviously heard what we've been talking about, about being poor in spirit. And this, in my mind, is what this particular heart posture this person had when the seed was sown, the soft, fertile soil, a broken and contrite spirit, humble and able to receive something that would not just tickle their senses and not just bring a temporary buzz or a temporary joy 
but would actually come in and bring such life-transforming power that the seed would multiply 30, 60, and 100-fold what was sown. That's the very power of the gospel. It says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, excuse me, it bears much fruit. Can I grab it? Now, as a church, we're to be those of the fourth soil. We're to be those who come and allow God to move and minister in us, to soften our hearts, to be able to receive this word that's able to save our souls. Like I said, we've been predestined to become conformed according to the image of the Son. And like we heard prophesied this morning in Hebrews, it says, Therefore let us lay, lay aside every sin and encumbrance and the things that so easily entangled, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who's able to do this powerful work within us. Now I've put here, words are to serve the work of God and not replace it. I'm not saying that the words of God are wrong. I'm saying that they are not the source of life, which is Christ himself. And in fact, the words of God and actually written language itself came through Hebraic culture that God would actually create written language being preserved and initiated through Hebrew culture to be able to preserve the oracles of God, the scriptures that we can now read and enjoy thousands of years later. God is into written language and into words. And Paul, he says, now we do speak words of wisdom among those who are mature, they're just not words that are of this age. Their source of life is not earthly intellect. It's the power of God. And from those who have received this living word can then enter into true fellowship in their words to one another are words of life and togetherness and being able to dialogue about a work that God has done within each of them. Their mature words, their spiritual words and not just earthly words. <clears throat> I put here point number three. Uh, receiving the true work of the gospel is to receive the power and substance of Christ within us through revelation. So if we go back to um, First Thessalonians. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. The Thessalonian church received the gospel in power 
and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. And it says that they turned from idols to be able to serve a living God. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he spoke with this new kind of authority as one who lived from the work of God and not just the words of God. Now, in Luke 4, Jesus says he opens the scriptures for the first time and begins to preach these scriptures, the same scriptures that we heard about in Acts, the people who heard the the words but didn't hear the utterance. And Jesus opened up these scriptures and they hear an utterance from heaven that although they had heard the words multiple times, had never heard the utterance that lay behind it. And he opens it up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blinds, to set free those who are oppressed and to declare the favorable year of the Lord. He proclaimed a living word, a word that had come. It says it came from a place of authority and they marveled at the gracious words that were falling from his lips. Gracious words that had come from having received grace, having received mercy, having received the work of God on the inside. Now, there are many things that people, men can do, but the one thing they cannot do is impart revelation. Men and women are so incredibly capable. They can build a tower. People can build a tower to heaven. We can create genetically modified fruit and take two fruits and make them one or make them the same. We can genetically modify animals and create animals to be exactly how we want them to be with the right characteristics, the right kind of flavors, the right kind of substance. And now, genetically, men can even clone and create other people. I heard a podcast not too long ago that, that they've reached the stage in the future where you will be able to actually choose what characteristics you want on your kids. You want blonde hair? Just have to tamper with the genetics a little bit. You want big muscles? Just a little tweak. You want them to be tall? No problem. Men and women are so capable of creating and changing and doing this work, but the one thing that they cannot do is bring new life, is reveal Christ on the inside. Men and women are incredibly capable they're capable at creating words that move and stir people. They're even crea- capable of creating everything except life itself. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians that he's given us his spirit so that we would know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Let me read this to you. So this is off the bat of the scripture that I read before where Paul is saying that my message and preaching weren't in persuasive words of wisdom, but in this demonstration of power. And then he goes on to say, like I was saying before, yet we do speak words of wisdom among those who are mature, 
A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages for our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it was written, things which no eye had seen and no ear had heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and things which have not entered the heart of man, all that God had prepared for those who love him. For who, for, but, but listen to this, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So we know the church in Thessalonica received the gospel it says not just in word only, but in the but in power, the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction, they received it in the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, "Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that's in him?" And in the same way, who knows God's thoughts except the very Spirit of God that's been sent to reveal those thoughts? See, the church in Thessalonica received not just words, but revelation power on the inside, something that could not be received by any earthly means, but only through revelation. Now, just to highlight what I mean by this, and I think then, that we, then we might call it a day, when it says, um, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that was in him? I'm just going to have to ask for one more volunteer, if that's all right. One volunteer who's never volunteered before. Oh, look at that. Round of applause. All right, so there's no kind of surprises today. Uh, um but we're just going to have a little role play. And uh, David here, um, I'm going to think of something, and you're going to tell me what it is that I'm thinking of, okay? Ready? You got it? Yep. <laughs> what was it? Nothing. No, my mind's always ticking over, to be honest. Hey, I always am thinking about something. Anything, got anything better than that? Probably not kind of surprises. Um, cars? No, not cars, but good try. Thank you, David. Thank you. Now, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that is within him? Now, 
David got up and he gave it his best try. But who among man knows the thought of a man except the spirit of a man that was within him? How did David know that I was thinking, looking forward to this picnic lunch this afternoon? How did he not know? But who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man? And he says, in the same way, who among men knows the thoughts? Who, am, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God that was given? Now, in the same way that David has absolutely no natural capacity to enter into my mind, draw out the thoughts of my mind and bring them to light. How can you even think or conceive that you could know God's thoughts and bring to light the mysteries of God without knowing the Spirit of God through revelation? Now, Paul is saying this. He says, my gospel did not come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. Now, just as David couldn't enter into my mind, and just as we can't know the mind and the thoughts of God without God, we have no ability to receive God's thoughts, God's heartbeat, God's intention through words without the Spirit behind those words bringing revelation of that very word within us. Now, I had a situation at work this week just to build on Kirk's stereotype of me always talking about my workplace. But I've had a, a, big, a big project on the go this week, so I was handed a work phone at the beginning of the week because I was going to be working off-site for, for most of the week. And it was, this has is probably been the most action-packed and fast-paced week of my entire life. And so they gave me this phone so that I could do more work when I wasn't at work. <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> but I really needed this phone to be able to be contacted remotely. And so they handed me this phone and um, I got it from the, um, the assistant and she um, had set it up all ready to go. The only thing I needed to do was to log in my Apple ID. I don't know if anyone has Apple, but you need an Apple ID to be able to access email and all that sort of thing. But because I had an Apple ID on a previous work phone that I'd had, whose number had been switched over to someone else, if there's any techie people here, you'll know the drama that that is. That according to Apple, you cannot, David, back me up on this, mate. <laughs> you cannot, if your number with your Apple ID has been transferred to someone else, you can't get your email address back from that Apple ID unless Apple take three weeks to come and do this full system override to get your Apple ID back. And so I had this beautiful, pristine, sleek, sh slick looking phone. It was like skinnier and wider and bigger and more impressive than any phone I've ever owned in my entire life. And I was just about to venture out into my intense week of work and just about to pin in my Apple ID and the software failed me. And this incredible looking phone was absolutely and totally useless because the software inside of the phone could not empower me to actually use this elaborate piece of equipment. 
And the um, the chief executive's um, or deputy chief executive's assistant was like, "That's a you know she was real gutted, but she handed me this nice leather case <laughs> and said, "Keep it in this, you know, this brand nice new leather case that at least the phone was going to be kept good, but it was completely useless." She was trying to give me an accessory solution to a software problem. A hardware solution to a software problem. Now, to have the words of the gospel, if we are trying to address what God has predestined us to be and become from before the foundations of the world and address the reality of the fall, the cancerous disease and the spirit that has infected everyone in mankind. We need a software solution to a software problem. We need an eternal gospel that can come not on the outside in words and move us by emotion. We need a software solution and a software problem. We need the very reality and substance of the gospel itself. So Paul said to the church and and, and the Thessalonian church, you receive the gospel not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. They received on the inside the very power, life source, and substance of God that was able to set them free from living from idols to serve a living God. So to conclude, words are powerful. Words can move and motivate and inspire, but they can't transform or create life. While the gospel comes through physical, preached, earthly words, those words are not just words. They're the very substance and power of Christ, which we must receive through revelation to be able to live from this power, this conviction full of the Holy Spirit that this church lived from, to be able to turn from idols, especially the idol of ourselves, to serve the living and true God. So, Father, I pray that we would receive this word. We would receive the implanted word that's able to save our souls. Father, I pray that we would seek you through revelation, that we would seek you while, like the scripture said, while you are able to be found, while the day is still called today, that we would receive your salvation, your word within us. Father, that's able to open up your world, your eternal realm to us and have us set free from ourselves and living in the power and the reality of Christ who we've always been predestined to be and become. So, Father, we thank you for this word and that you've sent your life-giving spirit to open our eyes, to see as we could never see before um, and to live from Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.